Welcome to Wholesale Change, the webcast and podcast from Distribution Strategy Group, where we offer thought leadership for wholesale change agents like you. Because if you're on this show, you probably are a wholesale change agent. My name's Ian Heller. I'll be your co-host today, along with my business partner, as I like to call him, the doctor of distribution, Jonathan Bine, or also known as Jonathan Beinstein. How are you today, Jonathan? I'm great, Ian. There's something really special happening this year for those who like palindromes. Yes. So already, February 2nd, 2022 is, is like very palindromic. Yeah. But did you know that February 22nd, 2022 is a Tuesday? We'll just pause while people look that up on their calendar because that's what they're going to do. So but it actually is a Tuesday. Yes. Okay. We have, we have confirmation from, from a member of our audience. Back to you, Ian. Great. Okay, good. Well, that's a fascinating way to start. An important uh, topic in distribution this year is the palindrome uh, uh, issue, topic. And, and, and how to exploit it. Like, well, there must be a way. I mean, yes. we're, we're clever marketers. There must be a way. So we have a great guest today. We're delighted to, to have him. But before we get started with our guest, we have to thank our sponsors. Without them, this show would not be possible. So first, today... The Wholesale Chain Show is brought to you by Oracle NetSuite. For more than 20 years, Oracle NetSuite has helped organizations grow, scale, and adapt to unpredictable change with a unified true cloud platform. They especially enable fast-growing wholesale distribution companies to achieve operational excellence, manage margins and inventory, and support and expand their geographical footprint for years to come. NetSuite provides an integrated system that includes financials, ERP, HR management software, CRM, professional services automation, and omni-channel commerce. Most notably, though, is our demand planning and advanced inventory management. Used by more than 28,000 customers in 215 countries and dependent territories, Oracle NetSuite has worked with HVAC, electronics, electrical furniture, home goods, and industrial supply and equipment companies, just to name a few. NetSuite is a true cloud solution that best is the best fit for your wholesale distribution Company. So thank you so much to Oracle NetSuite for, for supporting this program. Uh, I think this is their first time, isn't it, Jonathan? Indeed it is. Great, great. Well, welcome welcome to the uh, Wholesale Change family, Oracle NetSuite. Another first-timer, we'd like to introduce you, if you don't already know, to Cavallo, a distribution management solutions provider founded by an experienced distributor who spent two decades perfecting and optimizing a high-powered user-friendly solution built for distributors. Cavallo offers, offers a robust set of execution-based software that provides sales teams with critical customer information to help speed up order processing with precision-like control over every order with workflow automation to ensure efficiency and accuracy across all your processes. You can also leverage Cavallo's state-of-the-art business intelligent platform You know, in real time if an order is out of compliance or in jeopardy and where you can improve to empower your company's next big moves. Cavallo's data-driven approach to distribution enables a network of cloud, on-prem, and integrated solutions that offers a path to excellence for distributors no matter where they are in their technical journey. Their experience has created the best-case scenario for modern distributors, software that meets you where you're at with flexible options that empower users to take their next tech step at their own pace. It's time to take control over your distribution business with software built for distributors without adding a new ERP. For more information on how to experience accelerated growth with Cavallo's BI platform and its distribution management software, visit Cavallo.com today. Thank you, Cavallo. We appreciate your support. We're really excited to work with you. It's a great product. We uh, suggest you check it out. Now we'd like to introduce our guest. We're very honored to have on the show today one of only four NAW fellows. And this is a big deal. They're only one of only four NAW fellows Mr. Mark Dancer. Mark, sir, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you today, my friend? Oh, uh, Ian, Jonathan, I'm very happy to be here. Really excited. And I'm, I'm thanking you. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. You bet. Now, it's a delight. And we've known each other for a long time now. And, uh, and, and this is probably long overdue. But I brought up your, uh, your bio here, your career highlights. So for your podcast listeners, you don't need to. There's a slide here. You don't need to worry about it. We're going to walk you through it. Uh, for everybody else, you can see it. Mark, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the Network for Business Innovation, and then we'll go through some of your other experiences. Yeah, so I was, I was for about 25 years, I was a channel strategist. I helped companies go to market. If you wanted to grow and that was primary, I could help you. I don't do that anymore because through my work as an NAW fellow, I've discovered that 
it, it's not that the old rules of how to create channels and how to go to market no longer work, but there are lots and lots and lots of new possibilities for creating channels and going to market in new ways. And they're all enabled by digital technologies, changes in social trends, how our economy is working. So really it's all about innovation. So today I focus on B2B innovation and the future of distribution. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And your website is N4BI. I know you have a very active newsletter. It's at the bottom right of the screen. It's markdancer.substack.com. What kind of issues are you covering over there? Is it all related to channels and, and, and innovation? Yeah, so I would send people there before my website. <laughs> it's very current. It's what I think every week. What I do is, you know, my, my philosophy, what I what I think about as a mantra for B2B innovation is that I think the, per, the highest level purpose for B2B companies, distributors, all of distribution, is to help our customers live their lives and do their work. So in my newsletter, I network every day. I talk to startups, established businesses. I listen to podcasts. I find authors of new books. And I'm looking for things that are happening out there in the future of the work and the future of how we're living our lives. And as I read them, I can, I can see how some of them connect to what distribution is or what distribution can become. And I write about that. Uh, every Tuesday edition is a... Uh, a deep dive. It's a little bit lengthy. I really dig into things. And every Thursday edition is a quick take. Um, and so I put my ideas out there. They are just that, ideas. I try to push boundaries and get discussion going and really kind of distill that down to over time about what distributors can do to lead their markets and, uh, and, and become innovators in a game-changing sort of way. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that's, relevant to today's topic, which is how to innovate the physical store, which we'll get to in a few minutes, because there, I think, you know, there's almost this sense that branches are inherently obsolete and we're going to, we're going to debate that today. Um, but uh, I know you're very active with NAW for those who are not familiar with NAW, that's the National Association of Wholesaler Distributors. So all the, it's sort of the parent association for all the distributor associations in in the United States, for sure, although there are some uh, Canadian associations that are members as well. Uh, and uh, you have been very active. I know for many years they've done this series called Facing the Forces of Change. You authored the last one, was it? And you're going to do the next one? Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Facing the Forces of Change is really one of the first ways I learned about distribution. I, I wrote the 12th edition, and it's published every three years, so you know, a long time. Uh, our mission uh, for, we called it Innovate to Dominate, the 12th edition in the Facing the Force of Change series, was not to write a publication or a book, which was a report on best practices and trends, but really dig into and provide some ideas on how distributors can innovate. One of the first things I found when I was researching it is that there's a huge body of knowledge about how to innovate, but almost all of it is either product innovation or technology innovation. Distributors do continuous improvement. We're really good at that. We look at best practices. But if we want to try to innovate in a way which is not, not emulating others or getting really, really good at what we already do, there isn't a body of knowledge we can rely on. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure what facing the forces of change will be in the future. We don't want it to be just a, a book. We want it to be responsive, timely, interactive, and we're working on that strategy but as a book, Innovate to Dominate is sort of the beginning of a foundation for game-changing innovations by distributors. Got it. Well, I know, you know, the, the, the nature of content that you write about innovation is that it changes quickly. That's just, you know, part and parcel. Yeah. So I think, you know, if people go to your, your Substack uh, uh, newsletter, they'll, they'll, they'll keep up with your latest thinking. Now, I do want to mention your education because I did notice when I was preparing for this, that you went uh, to the finest business school in the history of earth, right? And I don't say that because I went there too. That's just a, that's just fact, right? Uh, and before that, you were uh, you went to the Naval Academy and you were a Naval officer, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I feel like I grew up in the Navy. My dad was a career Naval officer. And so up until I was around 28 or 29, I was in the Navy. 
Um, I spent a little bit of time in manufacturing after the Navy just to find out what the real world is like. I worked for a company called Spectrophysics. They were a high-tech company. They built uh, scanners, laser-based scanners for a variety of applications. Um, they had they were an OEM supplier, and the OEM decided to uh, build their own products. So before I got there, their inventory or their their production runs went way up, but their customer was stockpiling them in advance of shutting them off. Oh, no. And while I was there, Spectrophysics gained sort of the leading share position in the United States, Japan, and Europe. And they did it by embracing uh, the value-added reseller channel, right. which was brand new at the time. Sure, This is back in the time when PCs were new. And that got me hooked on channels. Kellogg had uh, Professor uh, Stern, who's a channel sure. expert, off sure. I went. Literally wrote the book. We've, we've, uh, Jonathan, and I love that, love that text. It's marketing channels that keep it updated. It's, yeah, you know, really, if you want to understand how marketing channels, which is they're really their term for distribution channels, I guess, uh, work, that's the textbook to refer to, right? So, yeah. In fact, I think we can work on our definition of distribution. I, I like to say that in business, there is product, everything else is distribution, right? Mm -hmm. Distribution creates business. A manufacturer cannot do business without channels, without distribution. And there's a lot going on with new entrants like online marketplaces, yeah. uh, fintech companies, data aggregators that are kind of expanding the possibility of what distribution can be. That's good news for distributors. It means that we can grow in to a wider discussion of what's possible. Excellent. Good. Well, let's talk about uh, branches and you, you call them physical stores, but that's the same thing as a branch, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think, let me kind of throw out this hypothesis that as distributors have become more concerned and focused on digital commerce, you know, they, they see the rise of great digital distributors, whether you're talking about Granger, which is hybrid, of course. Uh, or companies like MSC, which have always, you know, the, the famous catalog companies that were initially really dominant uh, in e-commerce. And then you had the rise of marketplaces, which, you know, we talk about ad nauseum. Um, other distributors become become concerned that they're falling behind. And so they, they're very motivated to sell as much as they can online, right? And yes. inherently, branches are not, I mean, they're, they're expensive. You have a lot of brick and mortar. You have a lot of uh, overhead in terms of payroll. And it's just sort of logical, at least at first blush, and, you know, we don't think this is always a smart move, but it seems logical to shut down your branches and just sell everything online rather than try to find them, find ways to use branches to differentiate. But as you and I have talked about, and, and Jonathan and I have talked about, um, that may not be the best idea because there may be ways to innovate with branches to differentiate. Is that sort of the hypothesis behind? Yeah, you know, I think a lot about mindsets and I agree with everything you said, Ian. And my son was a wrestler, one of my two sons. And from him, I learned that if you push the head, the body follows. And there's a danger as distributors and we need to do this. We need to do it with excellence. We need to lead our markets. But as we do more and more business online in the virtual world, all of our thinking goes that way, right? The, the body, which is our business and our culture follows. That's not our heritage, right? Distributors, you know, when I learned them, they were, they were local businesses. They had people that lived in markets where the customer lived and worked. Uh, they had local inventory. They understood local demand. A lot of the need for localness has been disrupted. I mean, nobody really believes you have to have a warehouse in a local market to understand what the demand is in that local market, right? But I think that uh, distributors can reinvent, modernize, update what it means to be a local business, right? It's a yes and strategy. Yes, we need to be online. Yes, we need to be virtual, but we also need to be local. And thinking that we'll get, we'll dig into this. It's going to be a great topic digging into what we can do in our physical stores. That's just a word I've borrowed. What we can do in the real world in the spaces that we own, I think is a big part of, you know, uh, honoring our heritage and competing against Amazon and other pure virtual companies. So, so we, we completely agree with that thesis. I'm wondering if as we go through the discussion, it would make sense to talk about 
let's say, the role that the store plays in industrial product distribution versus the role that it plays in construction. They're very, very different roles, in my opinion. Yeah. Do you have some so, thoughts there, Jonathan, to kind of kick that off? Well, I, I mean, I think, I think there's, there's more relevance already in the construction world. I mean, a lot of the folks in the construction world are going to stop by a branch on the way. It, 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 might, it might be almost a daily habit in some cases, right? Um, and I think it's a, you, you, you don't necessarily have as many professional buyers. Yeah. In the industrial world, you have more professional buyers. Um, Ian, please wait. Ahead. I mean, you, you've lived both sides of this with two of the biggest names in the industry. Yeah. So, well, I think um, the, the, in the construction world, you know, the the whole form of how the product is delivered is very different, right? So you're not going to fit most, many construction orders on a UPS or Amazon delivery truck, right? So there are a yeah. lot of, you know, flatbeds with forklifts. And, and, and then the way the product is ordered is very different because these are specified goods often. And, you know, if you're supporting construction projects, then there are phases of construction and you often have to stage the inventory uh, because... You know, it's an uncontrolled environment in terms of weather, so people need product to arrive in, you know, to support certain phases of the construction project, and those aren't always very certain because people don't have control over the weather. Um, and, and, you know, there are other factors, like there are an enormous number of dependencies between contractors. And so having the ability to have product fairly close to the job site, I mean, like within a day at least, right, preferably a few hours, is a huge deal. You can't say... Hey, you know, I I need this order on or about this date. Give give or take a couple of weeks. That doesn't work. I mean, it, it, there and, are, and we'll get it to you on our weekly visit to the area. No, because there are construction delay yeah. fines and there are incentives to finish early. And so, just inherently, you're not going to have you know six large distribution centers around the country with massive inventory to support every job site. There's going to be a local nature to it because the delivery requirements just are limited by geography or the different delivery capabilities in, in, uh, in there, there are some similar parallel things in OEM, right? So there are also a lot of specified goods there, but they're the, the physical delivery requirements in my experience tend to be around like Kanban. I have to deliver so many per day to the production line, replenishing, um, uh, bins or industrial vending machines, which which takes people that drive out there in a vehicle and replenish it. So I think in both in industrial distribution and in construction distribution, there's this need for localness that just doesn't exist as nearly to the same degree in the consumer world for sure, or even in a lot of you know sort of you know Jansen uh, and uh, office supplies types of business. Yeah, well, I and I think also, Ian, you know, that localness or locality manifests in different sets of products that are available in the construction branch in California versus the construction branch in Minnesota or Atlanta, right? That, that, that there is often very, very different uh, product available from one branch to another. Yeah, and every, and every, every location has, uh, has unique demand. Right, because right. what this factory or this job site needs is different from every other one. And some of the general MRO stuff or small tools, as they call it in construction, is the same, but there's a lot of variation otherwise. And then maybe yeah. one other thing, Mark, I know, I know you had a point you wanted to make, and I'm sure it's awesome. Um, the, um, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we invited, Mark, we invited you on the show so you can listen to us. <laughs> I am listening. Go ahead, Jonathan. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, but the other thing is, that, you know, we've done a lot of work on how people shop and buy, and there are really distinct differences between industrial and construction. So, for example, industrial is far more digital in both shopping and buying, how they find stuff, how they purchase it. You know, construction, yeah, man, you, you talk about relationships, like in, in the article that you wrote, the, the, the branch is the, is the place where relationships get formed in a lot of ways, right? Um, because the 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 way people order is less digital in construction than it is in industrial. Yeah, I think I think all of that is incredibly relevant. And I mean, there are other lines of trade for distribution, but construction and industrial captures an awful lot. And there are some some fundamental differences, right? Absolutely. I think that as we think about kind of um, starting from our core and the products and services and the solutions we provide in each of those. The, the thing that's interesting right now is that this is an opportunity for distribution 
to kind of tap into the post-pandemic zeitgeist and actually put a point of view out there, right? Because if we think about our customers, you know, they're all in, in construction, we have skilled workers, right? A lot of contractors who already work in the field and industrial there are, you know, they are also essential workers that have to work on the factory floor, right? Um, but they all they also both have um, office workers, executives, people that sit behind a desk, right? And we can think about um, as those folks, because of the pandemic, you know, they've embraced work at home to some extent, which means they're willing to work elsewhere. And if you combine that with sort of next generation values, you know, next generation people, uh, Jonathan and Ian, you know this, they, one of their, one of their attributes is they like to be nomadic, you know, in the way they live their lives and they do their work. And so we could also think about going to set aside our line card for a moment. And if we imagine job titles or individuals that would never be in our store, you know, in our physical presence, could we imagine doing something there that would attract the owner of a business, a project manager, a facility manager, a manufacturing engineer, uh, you know, whatever the job title is, could we create a reason for them to have an experience um, in our store that would be of value to them? So I love that. So let's play a game. Jonathan, you're you up for a game? Always with you, Ian. Okay. Is, this, is this a drinking game? I, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, first, of all, first of all, we need to invite uh, people to ask questions. So if you uh, have a question for uh, our guest, uh, you don't often get access to people with uh, Mark's credentials and experience and background. So uh, please feel free to jump in with questions. But so here's the game. Let's see. Uh, and we did not practice this, right? You guys are probably going, what are you doing? So, here, but here's the game. Let's see how many things we can come up with that would be uh, reasons for customers to come to a branch. Good reason. Well, any kind of reason, right? So, so if you have, if you have a branch, what are reasons that customers might come there to get value from you as a distributor? In the chat box. No, right here. Let's just do it. The three of oh, us. Allowed. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so I'll throw one out um, to uh, to pick up a will call. Here's an easy one. I need it right now. I can't wait two hours. I got to get it right now. Product and application training. In in person training. In person training. Yeah. Which spans every kind of category, every stage of development, right? Business uh, planning. Business right, planning. Where does the customer want to take their business? So that is the that is the the consultative aspect of selling, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and we've got people we've got people who are contributing. So go ahead and uh, and and uh, throw things in on the chat. So to uh, sh shoot the breeze, I will say <laughs> to slightly edit the comment uh, to shoot the breeze. So that's there's a relationship aspect, right? That you can't deny. Yeah. Um, how about getting something repaired? Love yeah, so the so that so the whole category of value added services happens at the branch by and large, right? I mean, ninety percent of value added services happen at the branch, like uh, calibration, repair, setup, training, training, cutting, cutting belts, hoses, chains, yeah, customization, product transformation. All of these things that happen happen at the branch. Yeah. Yeah, someone wrote in display full shelves if you can fill them, right? So, you know, people like to shop, or you know, I mean, if you're a welder, you want to you like welding stuff, right? Yep. Here's one that a, a professional a VP of procurement told me: meet your meet our suppliers. Meet our supplier, right. absolutely right. Great right. place to Great. Come. people from this company, engineers, users. Let's get out and meet our suppliers. It, and I'll broaden that to say any kind of branch event, right? So branch open houses, which is a big deal. Suppliers will pay for those and they want to come in and meet your customers. And while they're there, they can serve cookies, which Tim suggested in the chat. Thank you, Tim. Um, and uh, uh, how about how about return something? It's just convenient, right? Or exchange yeah. something. Ask a question, right? Um, find, find the right product to buy. Find the right product category to buy for a solution. If you're if you're a dealer, get get product literature. Learn how to display things. Go go to a showroom and see the product. See it how it might be displayed. 
right? So someone said managed inventory. That's right. So so you've got you've got uh, inventory that's managed by the distributor, and and there sometimes it's staged or reserved for specific customers. How about uh, see the data, right? So if you are a distributor who's maybe opening up portals and your ER platform or online where your customers can access your data to see the delivery specs, the performance specs, those sorts of things. How about having a, a place in your site where you can show them how to access your data and do a little bit of data wrangling, teach them how to use it. Right. And we've related would be a product demonstration, even pre-training, just, just to see how something works before you buy it. Yeah. How about meet the, uh, if you're a local in, in the construction market, how about meet people from the local government economic development council? Right. How about uh, host business association meetings? We did that at White Cap. That's I got this. Your idea triggered mine, Mark. We when I was at White Cap, the Atlanta Hispanic Construction Business Council, I think that's what it was called, would have their meetings at our in our meeting facility in our branch. Yeah, absolutely. Make yours. This is kind of like being the local Airbnb of physical, you know, B two B space. Offer it. Offer it to your community college. Offer it to your local economic development commission. Offer it to developers. Let you know there's this um, side of human cognition. I've been reading about how we think as humans. Space matters, right? And if you have people that want to talk about something related to business or why we're a great place to do work or how to, how to solve problems, you know, it may not be directly related to things you sell, or it could be. But just fostering that conversation in a space that is a business space, you know, helps us think better, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it actually, someone just put in, we run counter days, vendors come in and pitch product and provide food. And, and, and one thought is that having worked with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of manufacturers over the years, they're starved for FaceTime with customers. Yeah. They can't get enough of it. They're not allowed. They feel like they don't, they don't either don't have the resources or access to make enough sales calls. That's why they love these events. They love these shows because they get to come and meet customers and they get feedback about their own products. I interviewed um, a distributor and I wrote an article on this for uh, FIDA, but back before the COVID, I, um, I interviewed a distributor of food service equipment. So this is everything from refrigerators to napkins. And this distributor had put part of his warehouse space over to being a professional kitchen. Hmm. Then he added a banquet facility. Then he added a garden so they could do farm to table. He thought it was all going to be bringing in manufacturers to demonstrate their products, right? And that would, he did that, and it was really powerful, right? Uh, it brought his customers into his location. But then he realized that he could bring in, uh, he could kind of promote food service industry as an industry, people that wanted to be chefs, people that, he brought in high schoolers to kind of, to kind of just to, as a favor to the community to teach them what the food service industry was about. Hmm. He sold it out as banquet space for, for, for weddings and other things. And what it did was it built community relations, you know, commu local community, but just also chefs from across the country and other things, right? Manufacturers from across the country. It was a gathering space and it really helped him. And I've read about this in other, other business now too. It just shifted the way he thought about his customers as a community, right? Because if, if a distributor is always thinking about customers as buying online or working at their location, not working at your location, right? You kind of, you, you don't really have as robust relationship as you like. Airbnb, I, I heard the uh, Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb interviewed on a podcast. He said, we are a virtual business, but we like to think of our business as a three-dimensional business. And they nurture, I mean, they sell physical spaces, but they have, as they're doing things virtual, they have to nurture thinking about the physical space in the real world too, so they can be three-dimensional. They can do both. Yeah, so we have a couple of interesting, that, that, that's, that I, I agree with you. I think that that is a very interesting perspective. So Frank says, uh, this is in chat, for contractors, the day starts at 7 a.m. by taking the goods they need for the day job. No real time to meet for meet, meet with suppliers. Yeah, I mean, first of all, if you have to be on the job at 7 o'clock in the morning, it's really hard to work with common carriers because you don't really know when they're going to deliver the day before, right? And contractors often don't run their offices that late anyway. And then, you know, you're better off just picking up the product at the distributor's place of business uh, at 7 o'clock in the morning and then going to the job site. 
rather than trying to figure out how you're going to receive it and get it on your own trucks in your own facility. Um, and, and it is true that contractors are often very strapped for time. Uh, and then uh, Gabe says, instead of my customers meeting at Starbucks, I'd rather have them use my facility as their third space. And it's, you know, it's funny because things like, you know, having a, a coffee machine and a soda machine and popcorn, that's not just a nice to have. It's a big deal for a lot of these, a lot of these customers. It's part yeah. of a lifestyle for them. Yeah. Like, like, like they get yeah. their, you know, they, they go to the branch, they get their coffee, they get their order and they go out onto the job. Right. And you can so, do that. Right. So Bill just made a very interesting comment. Distributors need to be consistent and frequent in events. So it forms a habit to visit the store in the customer's mind. Uh, also, they need to have a viable digital marketing plan that works to attract those customers. I, I completely agree. That's a I've never heard of that habit to visit idea, but I really like it. So thank you for that, Bill. Um, I will say, you know, when I was at my first marketing job ever, you know, I was I started my career as a truck unloader at a Granger branch. I worked the counter. And one of the first things I learned actually before I got into marketing is a lot of customers, even expert customers, don't always know what they need, right? And so we would have contractor after contractor come in in the morning and they needed help identifying an electric motor or the right air conditioning compressor. And I mean, sometimes these things are grimy or they're old and they 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 don't know how to match it up because they there's such a variety of products out there that they need someone at the branch to help them figure out exactly what it is. You know, and they can also extend that kind of we're a place to work on things, to get your things worked on not just to the direct customer, but to sort of enthusiasts in the category, right? So if you are a, uh, you know, in the automotive world, right? You might uh, have people that come in and, you know, or, or similar things that are direct customers, but there also, there also might be, you know, people that do that in their, that they like that kind of working on things in their personal life. In the maker movement, you might find a podcast about that where they're, talking about, you know, skilled work or facilities management or something, right? And you can bring those kind of digital conversations into your physical space and create a very interactive environment as you're providing the things to work on, the tools to work on, the calibration equipment, the repair equipment, and just kind of, you know, provide a very interactive uh, experience for the people that are there. I, I heard a distributor, I was chatting with a distributor about this, uh, Ian. He used the term omni-experience. Have you used that? No. I thought it was really cool because in, I looked it up, and it's a big thing in some parts of consumer, apparently. Okay. But in, in the distribution world, it combines omni-channel and customer experience, hmm. right? And so if you are, if you, uh, let's take digital channels for a moment. If you're doing social media, maybe you have a blog, maybe you're doing, you know, pu pushing things out. You can actually take that idea of telling stories and tell them in your store, right? And, you know, it, you can interview customers when they're there, you can bring in experts when they're there, the manufacturers when they wear, and you can, you can view your store as an omni experience. You do social media, you are thinking about how you want your sales to be able to talk about your brand, all those kind of communications you can do through your store too and add kind of a real world richness to that brand building and communications you're doing with your customers and your suppliers about who you are as a business. I, I love it. So Mark, in, in one of the articles that you wrote about this topic, you, you talked about the, the three R's, relevance, yeah. resources, and relationships. You want to you take us through that? If, um, I, think, I think it's a really relevant concept. Uh, yes, yes, and I should remember the source. Uh, uh, I will find it through, through program notes afterwards because I found that in a uh, MIT Sloan Management Review article. So I'll, I'll send you the source for the program notes. But there were, you know, it's if you're thinking about your physical store and what you want to do with it, the idea was relevance, resources, and relationships, right? So relevance is how, for the experience you provide how is it relevant to your customers, right? And you can actually turn that around. And if you think about what are your, you know, if you, if you asked your customers, what are the top three things you're working on, right? And maybe customers you don't talk to every day, right? And then, and then you design something for your space. You want to make it relevant to that customer need, 
not just relevant to the products you sell, but relevant to the issues that they're working on, right? Uh, and you can you can make some big jumps or some small jumps in the things you offer your space. Resources then is, you know, it's things like if it's going to be related to working on products, it's repair tools, calibration tools. If it's something around data, you want to have resources there for so that the, uh, you know, apps and computers and accesses to data points. We can also think about resources if we imagine distributors as, I like the phrase, not intermediaries, not definitely not middlemen, but being at the center of commerce, right? You might bring, if you're working with um, an AI company to add AI to the way that your website works, you can bring that AI special in as a resource and maybe actually have the customers come in and talk about what you should be doing on AI on your platforms to enable the way they want to run their business. So that's relevancy and resources. And then, uh, then, then don't forget, the ultimate goal here is to create relationships and deepen relationships, right? right? And relationships are a human, human thing, right? I'd be hard pressed to believe you can develop a, a deep and broad relationship in just the virtual world, mm -hmm. right? And so the, if you bring people together and you have kind of a service mentality, a helping mentality, you're building those relationships and you, and you know, you can, and you can do, you know, distribution loves metrics. You can create metrics across your store, the things you're doing, the easy things that are obvious, you know, inventory pickup, the things that are harder, bringing in a CEO or a job title you never deal with. You can create metrics and measure the what you actually accomplish around relevance, resources, and relationships in the store. Well, I don't know about this digital relationships thing. I think Siri kind of digs me. Alexa, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to turn Jonathan? on Alexa because she was talking to Siri while I was sleeping. In my <laughs> they were changing my playlist overnight. A true story. Seriously? Yeah, I woke up listening to some, I go to sleep listening real low volumes to a playlist that lasts all night. And I woke up a couple of times and it was different. It was wow. there playing something else. So I'm afraid I can't do that, Mark. That <laughs> <laughs> was a 2001 Space Odyssey reference. So Jonathan, you want to catch us up on some comments? Sure. So I mean, I think part, part of this whole discussion is really to show that reinvigorating stores is a lighter lift than reinvigorating malls and retail spaces, right? I mean, we've yeah. kind of seen the we've kind of seen the death of malls. We've got some just great comments from our from our audience here. Um, so one is um, give those early AM contractors a to-go bag of food and beverage. Wow! So you're not just giving them product; you're nourishing them. Make sure there's a sample of something in the bag, right? So there's a sales angle. Um, make sure there's a, a sample of something in the bag and the store's name on the bag, even a QR code. So that's integrating the physical with the with the online, which is um, which is going to be something that a number of folk folks are doing. Um, we have another comment from the Colorado Corridor. We, we failed to mention, by the way, Mark is part of the Colorado Corridor corridor of people in distribution who aspire to thought leadership. Uh, it's, it, this is from Art, Art Waski. Art says, yes, the impulse buy is a big part of our store sales. So normally we think of impulse buy as something that consumers do, right? Um, yeah. But they put the bread and better items back in the back of the showroom so, so the customers have to see all the impulse item buys first. Brilliant. You know, hey, Jonathan, uh, on that, because I, I know Art also, Art talks about enterprise selling, right? Yeah. And yeah. one of my thoughts on enterprise selling, I think Art, we were with, is that you're selling all that your company can do, right? It's not just your products and services, it's what you know. And the and so, you know, your physical assets, this might take some work to figure it out, but your physical assets include your, your stores, right? And your sales force should be able to talk about the value that your stores bring to customers. Yeah, you know, Roy says that they used to open at 6.30, but customers were winding up at 6.15. Now they open up at 6, and they're winding up at 5.45. I mean, that, you know, the workday is longer, right? And and people need access. So I do have a question for uh, the people in chat uh, or the people on the call. 
How many of you have tried an open concept store, which is really what Art's talking about, I believe, where where the the you don't have the wall behind the counter. Customers can walk through the store. Uh, it's like a warehouse store, if you will, and you have a lot more merchandising uh, and customers get a lot more exposure to your product. If you've had a chance to try that, why don't you tell us about your experience in the chat? Um, and, uh, you know, years ago, like, I was a counter person at Granger before I went into marketing and I was the contractor marketing manager. We really doubled down on these service contractors and, you know, being able to replace their stuff at the counter. Uh, and then uh, years after I left, Granger really began to de-emphasize that service contractor business. And I ran into a, a owner of a bunch of Johnstone supply stores once a few years back. And he said, yeah, that was the best thing that ever happened to us is when Granger walked away from that market because that market is so hard to compete with online, you know? And so Johnstone really differentiates with the fact that they've got all this stuff for service contractors. No, they're not the only ones. A lot of other great uh, distributors that do as well, but it, you know, that's, it's, it's hard. You can't really compare or compete with that with uh, online with the ability to bring something in and match it up and get it right away and take it to a, a job site. Yeah, you know, Ian, if you're throwing out questions, I'll just to build on your question. Another way to ask that is who in your business manages your physical space? And what what is the job definition of those folks? Right? Is it kind of merchandising or is their job to you know build customer relationships more? You know, how do we how do we make that job uh, something essential for our business, something powerful for our business? One thing, if you think about it, is there, there's a lot of automation across the, the customer shopping and buying journey, billing, et cetera. But the one use case that will almost certainly remain the province of human to human communication and interaction is selecting the right product, selecting the right product category. That mm -hmm. that's It's really, really unlikely that AI is going to take that away anytime soon. Um, and and that's that, that's a big part of the value add that is in, that is imparted in a in a physical location. Yeah, you can see the product, you can touch it, you can talk to humans that have used it, right? You can try it out in some way, you can smell it, you can experience it, all those things. Right. So we've a few more comments about the question I asked on open stores. So uh, Frank says. Yeah, with the open store concept, I think this is what he was referring to. You can scan the product and see the price for the contractor. Not you because know, in unlike in retail in B two B, there are various tiers of pricing for different types of customers, and it's easy in the open concept if you have you know scanners around so you can tell the contractor what their price is. Another person says all of our stores are this way. This open concept, uh, and she's with uh, Gustav A. Larson. Uh, another person says we call those on the go, where contractors come in to pick up and can self serve. Works well for smaller branches. Someone else says, same here for ADI, big uh, security and low voltage products distributor, 70% showroom, 30% warehouse. Um, let's see. And then, uh, Jonathan, you want to jump in here? We got some questions too, I think. Um, one more, we do have open concept showrooms and stores. We've gone more to product application displays to augment traditional uh, showrooms. Gosh, they keep coming in. Opening your showroom square footage is the best way to move inventory from your warehouse to display. Uh, Pre-pandemic, customers were roaming the shelves. This is off the table for our branches now, but we'll revisit post-pandemic. Some of our customers actually use our mobile app in these stores to scan, to order, and then bring to the basket at the counter. The counter up only needs to verify the quantity uh, and, uh, uh, and and hand over the order or ship it. Wow, perfect for PVC fittings that fit a light. I mean, there's gold in here. Um, There's a lot of great examples in there, uh, ideas, things that people are doing. Just uh, I, I interviewed or just interviewed is the wrong word. I talked with a distributor a few days ago, kind of thinking about this topic. And he, they sold to contractors and they said, our contractors, the bosses are going to say they don't want more encouragement for the contractor to go by the store right. because they're hourly people. They want them on the job working. And we pushed that around a little bit. And we thought that maybe a distributor who had great value for the contractor or the worker, anybody, could be somebody from an industrial factory, a dealer. You know, you could have a bring your boss to bring your boss to the physical store day, right? right? Where they bring their boss along to see the value that the store offers and make them an advocate for other, other folks to go by because you create real value for them. 
And if you never see the boss, that could be kind of an impediment to, you know, inside of the company to, to getting more and more contractors or workers, whatever it is, to come by. Great. Okay. So um, we, we probably should start heading towards wrapping this, uh, this particular episode mm -hmm. up. But um, I did want to ask, I, I know I, I sent this podcast to both of you. There's a podcast called, called How I Built This, hosted by Guy Raz. And he interviewed the CEO of Best Buy. And, you know, Circuit City was crushed by Amazon and other digital sellers. And Best Buy was, you know, predicted to be the next victim. And then they brought in a new CEO who actually didn't come from retail, uh, who turned it around. Did you either of you have a chance to listen to that episode at all? I absolutely did. Jonathan, do you want to go first, though? Do you have thoughts? Go ahead, Mark. I, I got I got to the point where it was getting good, but I didn't complete it. So, <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I mean, he was a very creative, very uh, innovative CEO. He was at McKenzie. And he became a turnaround specialist and eventually he went to Best Buy. And he had specific things to say about Best Buy. But I also thought that he had some overall advice. And I don't I would not I don't tell distributors they're in a turnaround situation. Right. right. I think it's more, it's almost like we're coming of age. We have new things to offer that are very aligned with the, with the way business is being done today. But that aside, he said two things I thought were really powerful. One, in the turnaround situation, he gets to cutting headcount last. The first thing he does is look for new revenue sources. Let's find the things that we can sell or the way we can sell differently that give us a quick jolt. Right. And I think that applies to physical stores. The other thing he did, and I think he said this when he when he when he joined the Best Buy team, he did not bring his 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 people with him. He didn't have his turnaround staff that he brought in. He looked around and he thought that uh, Best Buy was just terribly mismanaged, um, that because of that, all the functional leaders were going in their own direction and not collaborating. He solved that. And then he thought that they had a lot of assets that they could that they could build on, right? And so one asset was just the way they interacted with customers in the store. It was crappy, right? They, 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 he he overhauled that. And then they also, you know, added assets to the store, the the geek squad and those sort of things, right? So I, you know, that was they had to survive as a physical store, if they were going to be what they were. And the success story is about doing that and fighting all the contrarian trends around it. Yeah. And, and the other thing that he talked about, Mark, that I thought was interesting, I'm interested is to see if you think there's an application in wholesale distribution. They created stores within a store. So there's a Samsung store and there is a Apple store and there is a, you know, the different, LG, different, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, different brands of elect, electronic uh, manufacturers had stores within a store and they know they're competing within that store, but they can actually put people in there and they have access to customers and they can demo their products and get people to get their hands on them. And that's a really important thing with a lot of times when you're picking on a laptop or a, a, a notebook of some kind, right? Yeah. You know, I, th I think Jonathan and, and Ian, I think distributors can think a little bit more exactly about two terms and define what they mean. Right. So one is customer experience. I think of customer experience as how customers experience of what we do. And the other is user experience, which means how do we act as a new kind of intermediary for our suppliers in creating an experience, a user experience of their products. Right. And we can right. do that with our sales force because we have all those arms and legs at the customer location, wherever they work in the field. And we can also do that very creatively and very innovatively in our physical stores, right? We can combine data and, and, and how, and how a, 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 a vendor's product, you know, that may have sensors embedded in it, right? We can have um, storytelling time where we invite customers out, come in to our store and tell the uh, experience, their experiences of how they use the product, right? We yeah. can create not just the display, but the interaction with the product in the physical store and invite the manufacturer to be part of that, kind of like sitting behind the glass in a focus group, only they're there, right? So yeah. we can 
we can really go full bore on that and provide, you know, become a show what the leading edge of managing a user experience is to our suppliers. It could be game changing. Yeah. And Gabe uh, in chat has provided a link to that podcast, as well as reminding me that uh, that Best Buy CEO, I forget his name, he's, he considered the physical stores the Coliseum where vendors can do battle for the attention and wallets of customers. It's about helping it's about the customer experience and helping helping them with their needs. Gabe, thanks so much. You've really uh, made the show better today. So, Ian, I wanted to add kind of a wrap-up thought here that, that yep. puts this today's topic in the context of a lot of what we've been discussing. Please. So, so you know, we started out by saying, look, physical stores are relevant, particularly because of disruptors for digital disruptors. So if you are if you are um a company that has simple transactions either logistically or in terms of value add, and you are closing branches, you are putting yourself squarely in the crosshairs of the large digital disruptors. So the, the big takeaway here is that the physical store is important in an and strategy. It's not digital or physical, it's both. Today, we've been talking about the physical, but you have to make sure you're doing both as many of you and many of us have learned, uh, particularly during COVID, but potentially before COVID as well. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Well said. Um, okay, so uh, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really enjoyed uh, talking with you and I uh, hope we get to do it again soon. Will you, will you come back sometime? I'm Great. sorry? Will you come back sometime? Uh, yeah, anytime you like. I, I learned <laughs> a lot. I love the comments. It'd be fun to dig into this. It'd be fun to put a new topic on the table and kick it around. This is a tremendous uh, conversation. I think you do a real service for distribution. Like, likewise, Mark. And we put your contact information in the middle. It's mark.dancer at n4bi.com for you podcast listeners. Again, his newsletter is at markdancer.substack.com. So uh, feel free to get in touch with Mark if he can help you. He does a lot of great consulting, writing, speaking, et cetera. The next episode of the Wholesale Chain Show is on January 19th at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. It is what's going to happen with M&A and distribution in 2022. We had a couple of huge deals that were announced right at the end of 2021, right? So there was the Lawson Jexpro Services Test, Test Equity deal, and then there was the Motion Industries Acquiring Command Distribution Group uh, deal. So those are huge. Now, that episode will be brought to you by Epicor and by Cavallo. And then please join us on February 2nd at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, for a special webinar, the 2022 State of E-Commerce, which will go into a bunch of survey data and other information that we've learned about how distributors are managing their digital channels. That's brought to you by Oracle NetSuite and by Optimizely. My contact information is below, and so is Jonathan's. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us today, or, or thank you, Mark, for being with us today. Jonathan, great working with you again, as always. Mutual. Thanks, Mark. All right, everyone. Thanks for coming. Uh, we hope you have a great uh, week until we talk to you again. This has been the Wholesale Change Show. Good day, everyone. Yeah,